Father, we thank you. Thank you for the love that you've shown to us through your son, Jesus. I thank you, Father God, for the the incredible things that you've done for us. I thank you for your word and for the truth that we can find there and live by. I ask, Father God, that you'd be with us this morning. Holy Spirit, stir our hearts and our minds to the things of the kingdom of God. I ask, Father God, that you would speak to us, that you change us, transform us into the image of your Son. Thank you for this time this morning. In Christ's name, amen. I want to return this morning to 1 Peter. 1 Peter is incredible for us at this time. I read through the whole book this week, and, and it's just amazing how well it fits into our time. It's It's incredible. And before I go to the passage today, I want us to look at a theological difficulty. I started seeing this um, when I went back through and read last week's passage with this week's. If you remember, last week we were in 1 Peter chapter 1, 17 through 21. And in that passage, Peter presents the amazing truth of redemption. God's plan for saving the human race from eternal hell. He tells us of God's plan being made before creation. He reminds us it was God who raised Jesus from the dead. In 1 Peter 1.18, Peter states redemption is through the blood of Christ. Basic to Christianity, those are huge truths. He mentions redemption. The word redeemed means purchased. A price had to be paid to God to rescue people from the bondage of sin. If you're a believer this morning, you have been purchased out of slavery to sin. This is grace. We we talk about grace in the church all the time. This is grace. It's incredible, amazing grace. And last week I gave you five points that are presented in Scripture about this, this grace that God has given First one, these all have to do with redemption. First one, God established the law and holiness. That's who he is. He established the law and holiness. Second one, God established the penalty for breaking his law and opposing his holiness. So he's established the law and he's established what happens if you don't follow the law. It's all from God. The third one, God established the required fine or payment due to remove the penalty. He's the one who set that that cost in place. It's by His design. The fourth one, God established how that payment would be paid. And Scripture is very clear on what, what that is. The payment would be something had to die. God established that. And the fifth one is that God then provided the payment. His son, the life of Jesus. That's grace. Do you see that? Do you you grasp how incredible that is? That's grace. That is incredible, amazing grace and incredible love. Now, as I went through this, 
I started to see a sticky theological question. Because it appears when you, when you start looking at our redemption in this way, that God sovereignly provides everything needed for salvation. And in a way, he does. So the question, the theological difficulty is, do we have a part in salvation or is it all God? It's that age-old sovereignty of God, free will of man question. I've been asked it so many times. How can God be totally sovereign, including his sovereignty over us, and provide perfectly for salvation, and an individual have the choice? How do they work together? How? Now, I want you to grasp this point very carefully. Get it inside of you. There's no way to resolve this question. Great question, no answer. And, and, and the reason I say that is because we have a finite mind. God has an infinite mind. There is a conundrum here that can only be understood by God. And we have to be okay with that. And let it sit there and, and we, can, we can stew on it and we can, we can try to work at it any way we want to. But we have to come to the conclusion that with our finite, sin-stained minds, we cannot resolve the problem. We also need to realize that it's not mandatory for us to harmonize the two. It's not a requirement. We, we don't have to go there. What's important is for us to trust God, to believe He is who He says He is, and that He has done what is necessary for us to be saved. If we spend all of our time trying to figure out how to make those two things resolve, we miss the point. He is who He says He is, and He provided the means. Now, I want to stress a couple things that will help us with, these, with, 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 with this question. There's a couple of things in the Bible that we have to remember. And I think this helps, at least it helps me deal with, with this problem. The first one is this. The Bible clearly, very clearly teaches that God is sovereign in every way possible. Amen? There is absolutely no way that God could not be sovereign in some area. He is in complete control over everything that is created. We have to establish that and believe that. That's what Scripture teaches. Second, while it teaches the sovereignty of God, Scripture also clearly teaches that people participate in the process of salvation by their choice, a faith choice, making a choice to believe in what God has done. The responsibility of men and women is to agree with God about our condition. We're sinners. And to believe in God's solution to our problem of sin. The two can, are not going to resolve in our minds. But the two exist parallel to each other. God did a work. 
We, we love this verse. It's the most well-known, probably, verse in, in the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes, that's our part. That's, that's our faith. That's, that's our part in this whole thing. This is why Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Now, no one may boast. So the point Paul's making is we're not going to boast in our ability to be saved. That's his point. I like to remind all of us who are believers, that we do boast. And we are to boast. And we should make a big deal out of the boasting because our boasting needs to be in the Lord Jesus Christ and glorify God. And we need to be better at that. What do you boast in? The fact that Jesus Christ came and died for you. Boast in that. Don't boast in what you can do. Just trust the fact that Jesus has given you your redemption. He's paid the price. Boast in that. We have the truth. God is sovereign. Quite honestly, if he wasn't totally and completely sovereign, would we really want to worship him? We also have the truth that our salvation requires our responsibility of faith. This should also remind us that there is only one reason for someone to spend an eternity in hell. One reason. And that is unbelief. There is no sin, there is no breaking of God's law of any kind that is so great that would keep you out of heaven. There is only one thing that keeps you out of that eternal salvation that God has provided, and that is unbelief. If you believe in God's gracious plan, eternal life is your future. If you refuse to believe, if you reject what God has given, eternal judgment in hell is your future. It's simple. Sometimes I wonder if we just get sideways because we don't like simple things. We've got to make it complicated. It's simple. If you believe what God has done through Jesus Christ... You have eternity. If you don't believe, you have eternal hell. The other truth that we find throughout Scripture, old and new, is that grace is available. It's always been available. And any person can choose to believe His grace anywhere. I've seen this all over the world. Europe, behind the Iron Curtain, South America, Central America, India... Even downtown Denver. I even saw the grace of God work in the sovereign, independent state of Boulder. His grace goes anywhere. Now, let's, let's go back to First Peter now. So, so that's foundational. Because he's writing to believers... We've just described what that means. Believers, let's, let's read the rest of the chapter. 
Verse 22, since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for a sincere love of the brethren, fervently love one another from the heart, for you have been born again, not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable, that is, through the living and enduring word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Amazing passage. And if you go back to to verse 22, the, the term purification there, purification of our souls. What is that? Well, that's what happens the moment you were born again, the moment you are saved. You accept Jesus Christ by faith. You have faith in God's gracious work through Jesus. You are purified. What that means is you've been purchased. So that's, that, go, that goes back to that redemption idea. And what, is, what is that? Well, what that means is that God sees you differently. I want to point out three things that happen at that moment. When you came to Christ, when anyone comes to Christ, there are, there are three things, three predominant things that happen. First, at the moment of salvation, the moment you believe, God in His court, God's view of you is positionally that you are righteous. He sees you totally and completely righteous. As a matter of fact, if you read carefully, you will discover that God sees you with Christ's righteousness. So the moment you accepted Jesus, the moment you put your faith in the work of Jesus Christ, God suddenly goes, oh, yeah, he's just as righteous as my son Jesus. That's astonishing. That's your position. That's your position in heaven as a believer. The second thing that happens, and I'm not putting these first, second, third, because one happens, and then they all happen at the same time. Another mystery of how God can do that. So, so, so the second thing that happens when a person is saved is they're automatically placed into the church. When you became a believer, when God saw your faith and went, they're one of mine. He went, they're in the church. You were joined spiritually to all believers. And there's, we need to understand the church thing because you are inserted. You were placed into the church. You were immersed into the church. Well, the church can be two different things. It can be the church universal. So everyone who's ever believed is in the church. That, that means Abraham. Abraham was saved by faith. Was he not? So by faith, he is saved. That means he's a part of the church. He's a brother in Christ. He's a part of the church. So there's that universal aspect of the church. The word is also, it, it, it has to do with gathering. That's where the, the, the Greek has to do with church. It's gathering. And that is what we're doing here. You are gathered together this morning to worship and fellowship as the church. This is the church. So in those two aspects, you see the the relationship 
of believers. You are in the church. That happened the moment you were saved. It wasn't your choice. You didn't come to Christ and go, I believe in the, in the saving blood of Jesus. I believe in his death, burial, and resurrection. So therefore I'm saved. But I'm not so sure about that church thing. That's not what happens. You accept the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. You agree with God about your condition and, and you're saved. And God goes, you're one of mine. You're in the body of Christ. Boom. Done. Along with that, there's a third thing that God does. The Holy Spirit moves in. The Holy Spirit moves in. He, he takes up residency inside of you. you. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of you. Every believer... Every believer has the Holy Spirit. The moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit is in you. A teacher, a companion, an encourager, a power. You want to lean on somebody, lean on the Holy Spirit. Where do you got to lean? Right there. He's with you. He's the one who come along, comes alongside. He's in you. And he's been in you ever since the moment of your salvation. Those three things occur instantly upon belief. The moment, that moment was orchestrated by the sovereign of the universe. That's, that just should stir us to just be kind of crazy sometimes, you know? The sovereign of the universe said, here's what's going to happen when when Alan, he's sitting there right in front, so i got to pick on him. Alan believes. Boom! Everything happens because of the sovereign work of God. But it can't take place in his life unless he believes. That's God's plan of salvation. This is what Peter's getting at. And Peter's doing that for a purpose. He wants us to fully understand that because then he tells us that the result of what he's just done, what God has done, the result of our salvation, the result of our redemption is a sincere love of the brethren. Loving other believers. That's what that means. This is, Jesus had something to say about this. John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you. That you love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. That is a huge statement. He, Jesus is telling us that we are known as his disciples. We are known as followers of Christ because we love other believers. This needs to be a checkup for us. Been in the church long enough to know that there's a lot of people who go, yeah, I, I enjoy church, but I just, don't, I just don't enjoy that one person or that couple. Or, and we point the finger you know, it's them, and there's three pointing back. 
The church is full of that. That's not, that's not, that's not what Christ is talking about. You belong to the body of Christ. If you, if you truly belong to the body of Christ, then it's demonstrated in how you love one another. Love the brothers and sisters in Christ. Love the church. At the moment of salvation, we become an inseparable part of the church. We teach here that you can't lose your salvation. We also then are implying that you can't be removed from the church. You are an inseparable part of the work of God. Loving one another is paramount to being in the church. Paul uses the metaphor of the body to describe the church. And there's many ways that we can think that through about the essentials of each part. As you know, I'm recovering. I can do this now. From shoulder surgery. And there was a while, a few uh, weeks ago, where... This thing didn't cooperate. It, it, it was frustrating. I love the fact that Paul uses that metaphor because each believer, because of what he's done, we go back to the truth of, of what the redemption is and what, what God has done in us. It's essential that each one of us, understand, as believers, we are a vital, vital, important, and essential contributor to the health and function of the church. If you are a believer here this morning, you are essential to the health of First Baptist Church. You are. The contribution to the church is a function of love. Not just a love for Christ, but a love for the brothers and sisters, the other believers. We, we need to get this down. Because a person who's saved, who is only a spectator or a, only a, a consumer in church, let's say on Sunday mornings, is actually then reflecting that they have no love for the body of Christ. A little bit like when my arm didn't cooperate with the rest of my body. It didn't love the rest of me. It wanted to do its own thing. Actually, it didn't want to do anything. It was lazy. Just, you know, just hanging there. You are a part of the body of Christ. You are vital for its health. This whole idea gives evidence that we are children of God. That evidence is that we love other believers. This is important. This is vital for us as a church. Believers love believers. And that love that is used there is active, selfless, ongoing, sacrificial love. Agape. It's, it's not the kind of love where you're, you're going to try to find a way to get all your warm fuzzies. You're going to give something. Whether you get anything back or not. I've been around the church so long and there's, there's so many times people, you know, they, they talk about, well, I come to church on Sunday morning because I want to get fed. I'm not, I'm not sure really where a lot of those people are at. But very often what that tells me is they, they're coming because they're a consumer. 
I have people who come and say, I don't like, you know, I don't like it when you play hymns. I've told people, you know, I sit in my office and I get a phone call. If you ever play that hymn, you know, ever again, I'm not ever coming back to church. Okay, I calm them down and everything. Okay, all right, whatever. Hang up. The phone rings again. If you play that new stuff ever again, I'm not coming to church. And, and, you, and you just go, wait a minute. What, what are you talking about? You're being a consumer. You're being a spectator. This isn't a concert. I mean, the music was really good this morning. Shaylee, boom. That's not what we're here for. I think one of the reasons the old churches had pews is because they didn't want anybody comfortable. We got a lot of people who are comfortable. I know growing up in the Methodist church that I grew up in, those things were not comfortable. Neither was the old lady that knew my parents who sat behind us and would reach over and go, when I got out of line. Contribution, participation in the church is a function of loving the body of Christ, loving other believers. So that active, selfless, ongoing, sacrificial love, those are to be practical ways that we demonstrate our love for the brothers and love for Christ in our life. This, this, is, this is our lifestyle. So how do we do that? And there are, there are many practical ways. I've picked two. I'm going to kind of pick on two of them this morning. Actually, kind of three. Okay. I can't count. One of the ways that we do this is choosing to be in fellowship with other believers. We, we've chosen this morning, you all have chosen to be here this morning, and those that are watching have chosen to tune in. So, so there's a choice that has been made to fellowship with other believers. We're here hanging out with people who love Jesus Christ. We're hanging out here with the, the, the big toes and the elbows and the, the floppy earlobes of, of the body of Christ. We're hanging out with people who have been set free, who have been purchased from sin. We're here hanging out with people who passionately love Jesus. And in that passion for Jesus, we love one another. We see that in serving one another. Serving. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 11, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. It's pretty simple. Are you serving? Paul gives some pretty incredible details of serving in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And one of the verses that's very important in that whole passage is verse 7. He says, but to each one, so he's talking about believers, so each one of you, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So the Spirit that came and resides in you, the indwelling Spirit, is going to manifest Himself in you for the common good. And the common good there is the body of Christ. The common part. That's, That's the body. 
the body of Christ. So, so everything that we are to do in our love is, is to be service-oriented towards the common good, the body. When believers come together, we love one another by serving one another. So now I'm going to jump ahead in, in 1 Peter chapter 4. Great passage. We'll deal with it again. Chapter 4, verse 10. As each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. Whoever speaks is to do so as one who is speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves is to do so as one who is serving by the strength which God supplies, so that in all things God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory and the dominion forever and ever. God wants us to serve the body of Christ. He gives us the ability to serve the body of Christ. He gives us the direction for serving in the body of Christ. He gives us the strength and the supplies. He does all of that in His sovereignty. Also, that he can have all the glory for all of eternity. If you come to church on Sunday mornings only to be comfortable, only to come and, and receive something for yourself, you're not loving the body of Christ. Believers do not love one another as consumers or spectators. And I know some of the, you know that uh, this kind of steps on toes, but it's what the Bible teaches us. Love in the church is demonstrated in serving. Now I'm going to use two examples, and I use these two examples because they are so common in the body of Christ as in the bigger sense. So lots of smaller. Subsets of the universal church, those gathered like this one, these are two issues that continually crop up. The first one, we're streaming. We're streaming our, our second service. And we've done that for a few months now. And, and the other thing we have is we, we've got slides up on the screen. And we have words to the songs up there. And... and Sometimes it's scriptures and, and there's microphones so that you can all hear well and, and you can understand what I'm saying and hopefully and what's being sung. And all of this technology is great and we enjoy it. And it's a tool that God has given to us. It has been amazing throughout this whole thing. The whole time we've been streaming, some of the stories we've heard of people that don't want anything to do with the church, except they've been watching the streaming. What is with that? We have, we have all kinds of stories that the streaming is actually reaching people. It's pretty amazing. So, in any Sunday, every Sunday... There is a minimum of three people in the back doing tech. Sound, slides, streaming. Right now, they're working. And as a matter of fact, this morning, we actually have four. Because two of them are in there working on the streaming. That's the best setup. They're demonstrating their Christian love by what they're doing. They're loving you and I by what they're doing. 
They're sacrificing part of who they are, their time, their comfort, whatever it would be, for you, for those that are watching. But there's a problem. And we're facing that problem here at FBC. Since we began streaming, we have been continuously short of help back there in the tech. The two that are doing the streaming right now are college students. And at least from the last time they heard from the University of Wyoming, they will be going to Laramie. We're going to lose them. Not like lose them forever, but they're college students. They gotta go to, they're going to school. And unless somebody steps up and loves the body of Christ by serving in this tech area, we'll have to stop doing something. You know, Nancy can't do all three. Nathan's really talented. Love you, brother, but you're not that talented to be able to do all three at the same time. Sorry. And we shouldn't ask him to. Where's the love of the body? The other example that I've encountered so many times in the body of Christ, not just here, is nursery. <laughs> we have a nursery. And there are people who work in the nursery on a regular basis, but we have continually struggled with having help in that area. We've been short of help in the nursery. That's one of the things that I've noticed here since it's, it, it, it's been four years now. It's, it's a constant thing. And that's been true in all of the churches I've been at except for one. Now, I, I get it. Nursery... To me, nursery would be a whole lot harder to do than tech. <laughs> I, I'm really good with high school, middle school. I, can, I, I love to talk with you guys and tease and, and, and relate. I can do that for hours. I'm good for about 10 or 15 minutes in the nursery. And then insanity just, just appears, and I'm, that's kind of how I'm wired. Those common areas, those are common areas in the body of Christ in most churches. They are struggles because people choose only to be consumers. I told you that this nursery thing was true in all the churches except for one, and and that is the church that Emily and I call our home church. And when we decided that that was going to be our home church and we joined that church, we said, yeah, we're going to be members of that church. And they said, yeah, well, look at there. You've got all those. You've got five of them. We know insanity runs in your family. I said, no, it gallops. And they said, you'll, you'll need to sign this covenant agreement as a parent. You'll serve in the nursery twice a year. Twice a year. And, and Emily and I, you know, it's, it's like, that's a no-brainer. I can handle nursery, especially if my wife is there to help me. I can handle nursery twice a year. And in that church, they've never, ever had a Sunday where people are going, I don't know who's going to serve in the nursery. 
and have that panic all the time about the nursery. They have somebody in there every single Sunday because the body of Christ steps up and says, I will serve, I will love the rest of the body of Christ by, by laying my life down twice a year. Same thing's true in the back. We get the right people to serve and love the body of Christ. We don't have to have people going, how am I going to do that for four weeks in a row? Some of the guys did some of this when we started streaming for five, six weeks in a row, every single Sunday. They're burned up. Where's the body of Christ? Loving the body of Christ is to serve the body of Christ. That's just two areas. Those are two really common areas. There's more areas than that. And here's where this becomes even more practical. As the culture around us deteriorates, and as we struggle with the difficulties of life that are coming, and they're not going to get better, we need each other. We need the body of Christ to be strong. We need the church to be strong. Our community needs this church to really have its act together and be strong. The love we have for each other must be manifested in our participation. That's the way we're seen as loving one another. We need to get over this this pride and this arrogance that somebody has offended us once, or this happened, or that happened, or whatever whatever excuse. I've heard them all. I've heard every excuse you can imagine. And all of them filtered down to the same thing. They're based on being a consumer, being a spectator, and not a participant. You are part of, a vital part of the body of Christ. What's the motivation? Pastor's harping on us to go serve, okay. Is that the motivation? I can't motivate you to do that. Here's the motivation. Verse 23. 1 Peter chapter 1. For you have been born again. Goes right back to what we talked about earlier. For you have been born again. And then he goes on. Not of seed which is perishable, but imperishable. When you serve in the body of Christ, that's something that lasts for eternity. It's imperishable. Through the living and enduring word of God. We've been born again. We are new creations in Christ. Because we are new creations in Christ, we love other new creations. And in all of those new creations, God's still working in us. None of us are finished in this life. So we may say the wrong thing. We may act something out. We, you know, we make mistakes. We are creations in Christ. And we love other believers. Living a life of loving other believers through our service and giving is the point of living as seed that is imperishable. Why is it imperishable? Because if you're doing it for the body of Christ, it lasts. This this is the normal Christian life. The new life is not a life in the flesh. If we, if we come together and, and your only purpose for being here is to be comfortable 
and be a consumer, a spectator, then you're in the flesh. And Peter then ends this chapter with a very clear description of the flesh. Verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls off. But the word of the Lord endures forever. And this is the word which was preached to you. Our flesh withers. It dies. And it's our flesh that says, no, I'd rather just go to church and be comfortable. I just, I just want to go and let the music minister to me and watch what, what's going on and relax. That's not what God wants. You're part of the body. So let me ask you, do you love God? I mean, seriously, do you love God? Do you love other believers? If yes to those two questions, then there's a third question. Are you contributing to the body? Are you participating? Are you looking for ways to serve? What needs to be done? Where can I, where can I jump in? I don't know how to do the tech, but I'm willing to go jump in and do it. I, I, there's times I think, you know, how many musicians do we have in here? You know, this is a church of 160. We're still running 160-ish between the two services. How many musicians are in here that aren't doing anything? How many people could actually do the tech with very little training? How many people could serve in, in the nursery? Do you love Jesus? Do you love the body of Christ? They go together. Your love is seen in how you serve. Now, there's another aspect of this loving. A lot of people will go here, and there's not a problem with it. And that, that other aspect of loving is, is, aren't we supposed to love the world? Isn't that what that also means? And it is. That's, that's part of our mission, to take the gospel to the world. The answer, you know, yeah. Aren't we supposed to love the world? Yeah. But in numerous studies and the history of the church, there, there are so many ways this has been discovered, if you will. The most effective means of winning the world is loving other believers. Why? The, the world is watching us. Sometimes I don't think we, we believe that because they're the world, you know, sinners. The world is watching the church. What is the world watching? It's watching how believers treat one another. And the reason this love between brothers and sisters in Christ is so powerful is because that's something the world doesn't have. And they want it. When an unsaved person witnesses the love believers have within the church, they are interested in that love and in that attraction that they have, that gives us an opening to be able to tell people about Jesus and to, to preach the, the gospel, the plan of God's salvation. 
If we hate one another, and if we don't serve one another, we're not any more attractive than what they're doing everywhere else in the world. Jesus wants us to love one another so that we glorify him. Jesus makes this a command. Again, it's very similar to another verse in John. This is from John 15. And I'll close with this. This is my commandment. You notice the word there. It's the proper word that's been translated from the Greek. Jesus didn't say, this is my suggestion. He said, this is my commandment. That you love one another. Just as I loved you. Greater love has no one than this. That one lay down his life for his friends. What are you willing to do to lay your life down? Father, I thank you for the work of your son. I thank you that because of his work, we have been born again. And by being born again, you've placed us into the body of Christ. And you've made us a vitally important part of the body, the church, and a vital part of your work here on earth. Holy Spirit, show us, reveal to us, move in us in such a way that we recognize that we are in the body of Christ and that we're a part of the marvelous work that you are continuing to do in the world. Father, forgive us when we've been spectators and not participants. Bring us to a new place. And let us experience the joy and the glory of serving the body, loving one another. In Christ's name, amen.